Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, we are in a series um, that is the third volume of a series. So this is the third time we've done this. We'll probably continue to do um, in the future. So we're in the Classics Volume 3, and today we're in Part 3. Um, if you didn't get Part 2, Pastor Keenan lit it up last week, and so did a uh, fantastic job last week. Um, and then today we're I'm going to uh, delve into just a little bit of the life of the Old Testament prophet Elisha. And so um, the thought process behind is we Uh, refocus on some of these classic uh, biblical happenings, these things that took place in the scriptures. And I want us just to remember, um, you know, we're not looking at biblical characters, okay? Um, That can kind of come out and we can say that, but characters are, are people who are in movies and TV shows and books and stuff that are Happen. These are people. These are historical figures. These are people who lived and breathed and walked and trusted God and struggled and all of the different things that we do. So as we look as, at these historical figures from the scriptures, um, we understand that it's, these aren't dusty old stories. These are still living, relevant stories. The reason the scriptures hold them in place for us is because they're relevant to our life today. And so with the classic stories, we've been going back, looking at these things, looking at these people, and seeing how they can, can kind of guide us um, in our own walk with God. And so we've been leading off with this kind of idea. And today we're going to look at it with Elisha, that the life of Elisha um, helps us um, to know uh, God better and to trust him more, to trust him in a deeper way. We've been launching with this passage of Scripture, Hebrews 12, 2, um, because it reminds us that there is a great cloud of witnesses. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. To run with perseverance, the race marked out means you, you first have to understand that there's a, there's a race marked out for you, that God's got a plan for you. It's a race marked out for you. It's not just one that's just this thing that's for everybody and we just all kind of do it at our own pace and figure it out. No, God's got a plan for your life. He has an assignment on your life. You matter. You as an individual matters. And when we begin to embrace that and understand that, then sometimes the weight of that can be a heavy weight in and of itself. But just carrying that can sometimes be something we have to remember that, that his, his burdens are, are light, his yoke is easy, and we can't get weighed down with those things because there's plenty of other things in life that want to entangle and ensnare and to slow us down. And uh, I remember the story of uh, Weston, uh, our uh, uh, third child, when he was four years old, and we were doing a Saturday cleanup, uh, much like our YA did yesterday. Our YA had an amazing serve team time yesterday. Yeah, proud of our young adults, man. They, they could have been doing it. And it was hot. 
It's stinking hot. And they were out there just cleaning up San Angelo. So just one plot of land at a time. Picked up tons of trash just that just randomly was blowing around. And anyways, our family was having one of those. We were having a Clark serve day um, at our very own location, our very own personal plot of land. And um, Weston, uh, his assignment, four years old, um, there was a pile of some some sticks and some sh- and some stuff that was all four year old manageable, um, and so and I gave him this pile and he was supposed to move it from one spot in the yard and take it all the way back to the alley and to pile it in the alley so that later we could come by and load it on a trailer and haul it off. And so I show him his pile and he looks at it and he's just like, I, I need you to move these sticks and he's like all of these sticks like yeah i need you to move all of them to the alley so then i go on and have everything else um lining the other kids out and doing my own chores and then i see weston looking at his pile of sticks and standing there this pile of sticks in front of him and he's just got his head down and he's just looking at them and so i go over and he's not moving he's not picking up a pile of stick he's not doing nothing so I go over there and I go to say, um, Weston, what are you doing? He said, I'm praying. Well, all right. It's at least a good thing, uh, unless he's playing that trick, you know, where they say, you know, that if you ever fall asleep at the, in the office, you know, that somebody walks in, just go, amen. And then they'll, they'll just think you're a spiritual person and I get mad at you for falling asleep or just. I don't think Weston was doing that move. So I'm praying, and I'm like, Weston, what are you praying for? And I don't know if he's praying for like some angels to come and help him. I don't know if he's praying, you know, for God to just make them disappear, if he's praying for them to combust into flames and turn to ashes. Who knows what a four-year-old is praying? I was like, Weston, what are you, what are you praying about? He's like, I'm praying that I'll be a good boy and pick these sticks up. And I'm like, there you go. That's a good prayer, son. And, uh, and so, but sometimes just the race marked out for us, the stuff marked out for us, we need to understand that there's a spiritual side to it. And little four-year-old Weston understood that the frustration, the overwhelm, the discouragement, just whatever it was, was that was pushing him to not want to pick those sticks up, that he, there was a spiritual answer to that, that he needed to pray. And he picked the sticks up, and he moved them to the back, and he found the energy and the endurance to run that little chunk of the race marked out for him. And as we are moving forward in our lives, we can't forget that even in the little tasks, There are spiritual implications to everything in our lives. There's a spiritual implication of faithfulness. There's a spiritual implication of stewardship. There's spiritual implications to every piece of our lives. And as we look at the life of Elijah, um, and so even though his mentor, Elijah, which can get confusing a little bit, um, is one that maybe is more well-known He's the one who prays to God and God answers with fire as he has a, as a showdown 
um, with, the, with the prophets of Baal, that him taking on the 400 prophets of Baal and, and that God answers with fire. And, and Elijah did some pretty remarkable things and faced off against a wicked king and a wicked queen and did some really cool stuff. And then we find out Elisha. And we're looking at Elisha today because I think a lot of us can kind of identify with Elisha on a deeper level than maybe we even can Elijah. And uh, so as we look at his life, um, one of the things we need to understand is that understand that God can interrupt and redirect us any given time. When we find Elisha and we found the first connection with him, he's just doing his job. Says what he was doing was he was plowing in a field and he was behind a yoke of oxen and he is just plowing a field. That his day all day was staring at the back ends of a couple of oxen and just staring at their back ends all day long, uh, pushing a plow. And he's dealing with what's coming out of the back ends of those oxen all day long. Now, sometimes Mondays can feel like all we're going to do is have, have to follow around a couple of rear ends all day and deal with what's coming out. And so that's sometimes what Mondays and Tuesdays can feel like. And a better none of our staff better be saying amen to that. And so, and so but, um, but that's the truth. It's the truth is it, it, can, it can very much feel like that. Like, is my life going to matter? Is my life going to matter? I just do the same thing over and over and over again. But in those moments, in those over and over and over again moments, those moments matter. And so one of the first things we're going to look at out of the life of Elisha is that wherever you are, give your best in obscurity and God will reward it. Obscurity is not a word we use a whole lot, but to me, this is the best word. Obscurity is this place where you're not noticed. It just doesn't, it's, doesn't, it's not a space that you would immediately put on Instagram, and you, nobody wants you to TikTok your daily life on those spaces. It's just so plain and normal and unnoticed. And when we can give God our plain and normal and unnoticed, God notices. God notices when we can give him the unnoticed. He, is, he sees all, and it makes a big deal to him. Let's look at 1 Kings 19, 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th hair. Elisha went up to him and threw his cloak around him. And the next verse says, and he walked away. Elijah's just plowing. He's just following the behinds. He's been following, dealing with the stuff he's been dealing with. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of his everyday, ordinary, unnoticed thing, all of a sudden, the man of God notices. And he walks up and he throws his, his cloak on him. 
which is this same thing as, as this invitation to follow. It's, it's dramatic. It, it seems kind of obscure. If you were just minding your own business and somebody comes and throws their code on you, you're going to jump up and go, hey, what's, what's the matter with you? And you know, what's the matter? You're going you're to want to scrap or something. But, but that was not it. That was, it was understood that when the prophet came and he took his cloak, he took his outer garment and he laid it on, that was a call to, to follow him and to come into him. And Elijah didn't hang around to see how Elisha was going to respond. Elisha throws it on and moves. And Elisha has a moment to decide, am I going to go here or not? Am I going to follow him or not? So then Elisha begins to have a conversation and says, hey, give me a minute to basically tell my parents goodbye. And Elisha grants him that, and the scriptures tell us that that then he, he begins to respond in a super strong way that we'll look at in a minute. But all of a sudden, Elisha could think, finally, finally, I've been dealing over here and been faithful in the unnoticed, and then I get noticed, and now I'm about to step into a life of being noticed. But the truth is, is what he did in that moment is he steps into a, into a period of time where all he does is follow Elijah around and assist him. That's all he does. The scripture says, refers it to this, that he poured water on the hands of Elijah. In that culture, that was a very menial job that he was just to pour water so that he could be cleansed. The, the Hebrew tradition was that there was all of these cleansings that had to be done and you couldn't, you couldn't eat with unwashed hands and all these different things. And he, he was the guy who was pouring the water. He wasn't sitting next to him and then some assistant poured water on big prophet and little prophet no, he was not all of a sudden prophet. He was no, he's the assistant. He was the one who was doing it. And he began to spend the next six to 10 years just going around, helping out Elijah. That's what he began to do. He, he had his, his moment of being noticed, but it didn't take him out of a place of obscurity. He stayed in this season of obscurity and it mattered. We see this reflected in the life of David. David, before he becomes king, he's a shepherd boy in an obscure field. And when he shows up to carry some cheese and some bread to his brothers who are getting to to be at the battle, and he hears this Goliath barking and making fun of his God, something rises up in him and says, you know what? Well, I've been out in the field. I faced a bear. I faced a lion. God helped me out in those spaces. I think God can help me out and deal with this guy too. What he had experienced in an obscure field all of a sudden prepared him for when he was about to step onto one of the premier battlefields of his life. We see the life of Joseph whenever he ends up in slavery and he served with, with dignity and honor and, and such recognition that he promotes and he's in a place of, where he's the head of the household other than the guy who is the one who owned him. And then he ends up 
out of a cruel twist of fate, and he ends up in prison, and he serves in prison. It didn't matter where Joseph got put. If he was in a place of obscurity, he still acted like Joseph. When David was in the field, he still acted like David. Those things matter. Those things matter. It's one of those things that, you know, I'm grateful God began to cultivate this in me that I've shared with you all before, well before I was ever given a microphone, well before I was ever asked to, 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 to speak or to do any of these things. My first ministry position was, was a pastor in training and janitor, and that my job was to make sure that the trashes were picked up and the bathrooms were cleaned and the floors were mopped. And we had a, had a small school with, with about 100 students that were a over there every day. And so I had to clean up behind those students and clean up behind the the faculty and the team every day. And that was what I did. And I did it for not a semester. I did it for, for almost four years that that was what I did. And in that space, God was reminding me, this matters. Picking up this little piece of trash in this corner matters. Vacuuming this floor matters. All these things matter. And I didn't realize that those moments of obscurity were getting me ready for when all of a sudden one day I would find myself on, with, with a pl- on a platform and that there would be people who would come in and I would not meet. There's a lot of you I've not got to meet yet. And that then would be able to, to see me out and about. There have been times that I've go to a restaurant here and and I don't know if they do it on purpose, but I've had the waiter and they, did, they didn't say anything till the end of the meal. And then they're like, um, Pastor Brandon, I don't know if you recognize, I've come to your church. And I'm like, awesome. But I don't know if they were just waiting to see how I was going to treat them. <laughs> but praise God, I was like, I'm going to treat them right. There have been a time that we went to, we were in a Walmart in, in a city in New Mexico, and we're standing in line, and the lady in front of us turns around and like, you Pastor Celebration Church? I'm like, yeah, yes, I do. Yes, I do. There's a way we went to, to Cutie out of town. We went to, to Coleman. Now, you want to take your wife out of town for dinner? I suggest Coleman, Texas. Not, not really, but <laughs> we were on our, on our way out of town. We stopped at a little diner there, and, and um, as I'm checking out, then there's this guy that says, hey, uh, um, uh, are you your pastor in San Angelo? Well, I, yeah. And it's those things that I've been so grateful that the Holy Spirit taught me early, put me in position early, that how you, how you handle yourself when you're not on the stage matters just as much as when you are on the stage, maybe more, maybe more. That what happens in obscurity matters just as much. The obscurity is just as much a part of my assignment as me standing up here sharing what I've prepared to share. This, the, there, there's, no, there's no thing, part of my life that is not vital, and there's no part of your life that's not vital, and the life of Elijah reminds us that our entire lives are vital. Matthew 6, 4 says, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The next thing we see is that we need to make sure to give your best in the small things, and God will give you bigger things to do. And we see in the, 
in verse 21 of 1 Kings 19. He says, so Elijah returned to his oxen and he slaughtered them. He goes back and this is his burn the ships moment. His life had always been about plowing and planting and now he's been called into a new line of work, a new space, and he immediately says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to celebrate this by giving this amazing, this amazing gift. And he, he takes the wood of the cart, he takes the wood of the, of the plow, and he uses it as a fire and he creates a sacrifice and fully gives up what had been given, and he went with Elisha as his assistant. Luke 16.10 says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. The next thing we see out of the life of Elisha is that to give your best in the natural and God will do the supernatural. See, the truth is, is that that's all that's at our disposal is the natural side of this. But God wants to do and has over and over and over again throughout his connection with humanity has done the supernatural. But we see, and that was what the, the hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11 was all about, are these moments where these people did what what was set in front of them to do, that they just trusted God with, with their natural abilities, with a natural assignment, and left room for God to do what only he can do. And here in 2 Kings 2, 9, it says, And, and when they had crossed the river, um, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. Now, what a, what's about to happen is a pretty remarkable moment. Elijah, Elijah is one of only two people in, that we see in the scriptures that did not die. They were just taken up into heaven. He's just he's one of two. And Elijah knew that his moment was coming, that this, he, he was soon to be, his, his earthly assignment was over and he was soon to be taken away. Um, I don't know that he knew exactly what that was gonna look like, um, but it says that this, this fiery chariot comes along, separates, goes between him and Elisha, and then it just, it just takes him up. It just takes him up into heaven. That's a pretty remarkable, miraculous moment, and that moment is about to transpire. Elijah knows it and says, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? And Elisha does something pretty remarkable here. He says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, but you have, you've reached for the stars on this one. You've had a big ask. You know what? I think that there's a space in our lives that if we're going to step into the, what God has called us to, we're going to have to be willing to do the big ask. We're going to have to be willing to say, God, I just, I, I just believe. I, just, I just want to see. I know what you've done in other people's lives. And Lord, I, I just want to step into the fullness of what you have for me. So many times it can feel like the, 
humble thing to do is say, you know what, I've just got enough. But there's a place of humility that understands his greatness and makes room for his greatness to shine in our lives. And his greatness can't shine if we shrink back. His greatness can't be made known if you and I shrink back. So somebody has to say, you know what, God, you're big, and I understand I'm not, but I'm, but I'm going to give you room to be as big as you want to be in my life. That is the way all of a sudden the world is going to see and understand that we serve a big God. Not us pounding our chest saying, well, look at what I can do, but just saying, God, I know what you can do. And giving God room to move in our lives. And Elijah says, you've, you've asked a difficult thing, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, no. And Elisha did the thing he could do in the natural, which was to ask. It was just to ask. He had done what he could do in the natural, which was pour water on Elijah's hands, just be a servant, just be willing to take the low task. He was willing to do that thing in the natural that it put him in a position to be near Elijah when that moment takes place. He was willing to do the natural things. And guess what? Over the period of his life, it was proved out that 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 prayer was answered. See, the scriptures record 14 different miracles of Elijah. Elisha has over 28 recorded miracles. In fact, the scriptures, the only person that has more recorded miracles than Elisha is Jesus. And Elisha just was willing to just, there was nothing that had set him apart that was special. He was not brilliant. He was willing to just plow when it was time to plow it was willing he was willing to move forward and answer the call when it was time to move forward he was willing to pour water when it was time to pour water and he was willing to ask when it was time to ask you and I we need to be willing to step forward uh, John 14 uh, 12 through 4 John 14 12 through 14 says whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. You may ask me, ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Jesus is daring us to move forward in a bold way as his children, as the followers of Christ. He's daring us to move forward in a strong and bold way. And so how are we going to do this? Well, Elisha's life teaches us that as well. And first off, we're going to have to learn how to cultivate the presence of God in your life. You're going to have to learn how to cultivate. And I love this next story. This is one of uh, Elisha's many miracles, and you can read the whole thing in 2 Kings chapter 3. I'm just going to kind of bring you up to speed on where we're at and what's taking place. Um, but the big nemesis for Elijah uh, King Ahab and his wife, Queen Jezebel, they're gone. They had a son named King Joram who took the throne of Israel. The scriptures say that he was wicked, but not as wicked as his parents. 
and he fixed a couple of things, yet he did not lead the people of Israel back to the heart of God. And this King Joram um, has some problems with the king of Moab. And so King Joram decides he is going to go to battle. And then he decides he's not going to go to battle by himself, and he reaches out to the king of Judah. Now, king of Judah at this point was a, was a good king by the name of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat um, um, was a worshiper. Jehoshaphat was, was a, a king who um, did his best to, to honor God and, and to uh, have a good relationship with God and to be a good king. And, uh, but we see in this encounter that when Joram asked Jehoshaphat, hey, go up with me and we're going to whoop king Moab, the king of Moab, um, we don't see Jehoshaphat pray. He doesn't say, hey, let me find out if this is what we're supposed to be involved in. He just says, man, I'm in. My horses are as your horses. My soldiers are as your soldiers. How do you want to do this? And King uh, Joram says, you know what? Let's go up by the way of the wilderness of Edom. Let's sneak up on them. And so we have this king, this king who's wicked, all of a sudden hooks up and asks for a guy who's a solid, decent guy, but forgot to ask God, hey, are you in this? He's just like, okay, yeah, I'm in. Um, you know, there are times we can just kind of take for granted and just jump in on things and maybe didn't really pray about it. Am I the only person that maybe decided to pray about a decision like way after I made the decision? Like, Lord, I've already made this decision. I need you to bless it. <laughs> and so, uh, because I, I forgot to ask you on the front side. And, and um, they, they find themselves in this space. Well, then as they're going through the land of Edom, somehow the scriptures don't even tell us how it happened. All of a sudden, the king of Edom decides he's going to join this party. So now there's three kings marching around on a journey, and somehow the king of Edom, who should know his land, all of a sudden they end up, it says, they walk in circles for seven days. They're lost. They're just going in circles. So they're just in the wilderness on a journey they didn't ask God about and end up just going around, and they have no water in their in their journey. They're not passing water. They're not coming to water. And all of a sudden, they're animals themselves. They are parched. They're, they're about to die. And then we catch up with, in verse 11, and it says, but Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here whom we may inquire of the Lord? Is there somebody who can help us to connect with what God has to say. Jehoshaphat says, hey, maybe we ought to talk to God on this thing. And an officer of the king of Israel answered. It's not even the king of Israel, because the king of Israel doesn't like these, this pair. They, they, he had given his parents tons of problems. But an officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha son of Shaphat is here, and he used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Him being known as a guy who was willing to serve in obscurity ends up being that connecting point for him of one of the miracles in his life. 
that kings call on him because of how he acted in obscurity. How we handle the moments that aren't the shining moments, the moments we don't put in our personal journals, the moments we don't take pictures of and stick it on Facebook, how we handle those things can end up putting us exactly where we need to be. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. And so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, who's the king of Judah, and the king of Edom went down to him. Now remember, there was an officer of the king of Israel who said, this Elisha guy, he's around here somewhere. There are three kings One of them was one who's directly over that guy. They could have said, hey, go get Elisha. But these three kings understood that you cannot delegate your spiritual responsibility. You can't delegate it. You can't delegate your spiritual responsibility. I hope that here as you're connecting at church, that there isn't a place that is saying, man, pastor, I need you to handle the, res- the spiritual responsibility for me and my family. We're here to help you. We're here to come alongside you. What's happening across the space with our kids' church, it goes a- along with this. They're talking about Elisha right now because we want to pair with you in your household as you are leading them, as you are embracing your, the spiritual authority for your home. We're not the ones who have it. You have it. We're here to come alongside and to help you lead and to help you grow. These kings understood you cannot delegate the spiritual responsibilities in your life. You have to own them. And so they don't send the officer that said, hey, I've heard of Elisha. These three kings, it wouldn't even say one king. Hey, one of us kings needs to go and talk to this guy. No, all three kings went together. Why? Because all three kings' armies are all about to die of thirst. All three kings' horses and and everything that they took along with them are all in jeopardy, and they all three went to find Elisha. So they go down to him, and Elisha said to the king of Israel, so as they show up, um, and here um, Elisha shows us a little bit of his uh, personality. Elisha gets a little bit salty. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, why do you want to involve me? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. You'd always turn to them. Your parents would always turn to those other ones. Why don't you go talk to them? You're in need. Go talk. Go run to the space that you had always run to before. And the king had to humble himself and says, no, The king of Israel answered, because it is the Lord who called us three kings together. And he thinks it's for destruction to deliver us into the hands of Moab. I'm here talking to you, but God's just trying to kill us. And Elisha said, surely as the Lord Almighty lives who I'm served, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not pay attention to you. He at least had had somebody alongside. Man, I tell you what, who you surround yourself with matters. It's good to have somebody surround yourself with people 
who have their own spiritual walk with God. But verse uh, 15 is the one where I wanted to get to. In verse 15, Elisha, they've come to him. He needs to hear from God. He says, now bring me a musician. Bring me a musician. Elisha, he's the one who saw Elijah leave in the fiery chariot. He's the one whose the mantle, Elisha threw it, that mantle that he had thrown on him when he was plowing, it drops out of the chariot and falls down and he goes and he gets it and he has that. He, that's what he's wearing at the moment. That Eli, Elisha is in that space where he is the prophet. He's the one who's called and he even understands that I'm not just going to sit here and stand in my office and my gifting. I've got to cultivate a relationship with God. Bring me a musician. I need Pastor Mauricio on that guitar. Come up here and play some music. I'm going to worship a little bit. Folks, when, if you're needing to hear God, spend some time in his presence. Guess what? We all have these wonderful little devices in our pockets that we can sit there and pull up some playlists. Turn your car into a sanctuary. Turn your living room into a sanctuary. Elisha, when he wanted to hear God, he didn't say, you know what? I'm the appointed one. I'm just going to hear God. It's like, nope. Bring me a musician. That is part of why you and I worship together, why this worship team practice, why we get together and we do this so that we can begin to put aside all of the other voices and all the other stuff in our heads and begin to share in these shared words and these shared tunes and begin to express a heart that, God, we want to hear from you. God, we love you. God, you're the one that's the most important to us and begin to prepare our hearts and our minds to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say. Again, verse 15, now bring me a musician. And then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. That here, here is this space that just a normal, ordinary plow hand. That God begins to come, that God calls and he answers the call and he comes alongside well, guess what? We see this in the New Testament, that there were some guys who were just doing their job. They happened to be fishermen. And Jesus walks up to them and says, hey, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they follow Jesus and they see him do the miracles and they step into, and step into this calling to follow him. And then they they deal with the disappointment of his crucifixion and they, they deal with the surprise and the astonishment of his resurrection and, and they're there when he ascends into heaven and they receive the Holy Spirit and then they step into the greater things. And we see this here in Acts chapter four, verse 13. It says, and when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. God wants to use all of us. 
whether we've been trained right, whether we've been in the right occupation, whether we've been doing all these things, it doesn't matter how obscure our lives feel. God wants to call us and to, to make a difference. But then we see that at some point, you're going to have to wake up and you're going to have to do something. And here is what happens in this space after Elisha has heard from God and and it says, this is what the Lord says, make the valley full of ditches. They're needing water, and God says, dig some ditches. God says, dig some ditches. Get ready to hold the water. There was no rain in sight. There were no clouds in sight. In fact, the scriptures say, we're going to look at it in a minute, that you're not going to see it. You're not going to see wind. You're not going to see rain, but you're going to get water. And that's why we need to understand that we don't base our life on what is seen, but what is unseen. Second Kings 3 says, for this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water, and you and your cattle and other, and other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. And he is also, and he also will hand Moab over to you. Uh, guess what? The thing that you ended up out here going in circles over, God's going to handle that too. He's going to handle that issue as well. But they had to be willing to go ahead and dig some ditches, even when it didn't make any sense. They had to be willing to do that. And guess what? The water came. But it says that there all of a sudden water began to come through the valleys where there wasn't a river. All of a sudden there was rain that happened a long way away that all of a sudden began to give nourishment. Folks, you and I are enjoying that right now, that there was some rain that happened a long time ago, a long, a long way away from San Angelo, Texas. Whenever Jesus willingly poured his life out for you and I, and it is bringing us living water right now but we can't look to what is seen, but what is unseen. 2 Corinthians 4, 18 says, so we fix our eyes not what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Our bottom line this morning is, your fullest life is found in giving God the fullness of your life. That's where our full life is found giving him the obscure parts, giving him the small parts, giving him the parts that don't seem consequential because those parts have more consequence than you could possibly wrap your mind around. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.